Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Voyager's Kess. But first, we have some exciting news. We have a website. We do! A real one. I'm happy with how it looks. It still needs some new tweaks, but the content is there. The content being the episodes, the show notes, and the transcripts. Huzzah! That's antimatterpod.com for all of your antimatterpod needs. You can also email us at mail at antimatterpod.com. And I think that goes straight to our Gmails, so we'll That's see right. it, even if we forget to <laughs> reply, which I often do. Also, just while we're on the subject of a bit of housekeeping, we're coming up to our 100th episode in probably just a couple of months, and it would be cool if people did us a favour and left some five-star reviews in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever you call it these days. Maybe uh, we'll do a like a giveaway. You know, we'll like pick somebody and I have prizes. Like we've, we've discussed. <laughs> we I have. have a closet full of prizes <laughs> that I would love to start handing out. And so. I still have some of the original paper sketches that I've done while recording, if that's <gasps> of interest to anyone. And the mail is broken, but I'm sure things will get to people eventually. So yeah, let's do a giveaway. Leave a five-star review or a four-star, anything above three. (laughs) (laughs) And go in the draw to win some sort of thing. And because we're us, it's absolutely open to everyone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we'll wear that postage. That's fine. Do we need any other terms and conditions? Oh, drop us an email or... Let us know on Twitter if you do leave a review, just because I have to log out of my Australian iTunes account and into my American one to, to see different reviews in different regions. And I don't even have a UK one or a New Zealand one. So yeah, just let us know. And we'll be able to match you with it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, people can leave reviews under whatever they want, you know. Yes. Drop us an Learn email. Dragon 27. <laughs> Drop us an email if you are concerned about privacy and yeah, just say something nice. It doesn't have to be five stars. Just don't complain about how we're deeply misandrist. Having said that... Celebrate how we're deeply misandrist. (laughs) I was going to say, having said that, I read the Voyager Bible entry for Kess and I did some other research and I'm feeling extra misandrist this morning. So let's get started. (laughs) On that very exciting note. Introduce us to Kess for all those listeners who have never seen Star Trek ever in their lives. I know. I don't know who among our listeners is not watching Star Trek Voyager, but it's possible. It's one of the older ones. It's not on currently. And Kess was only in the first three seasons. I don't know if... Voyager actually got a lot of new people in season four, but that was certainly their plan. Yeah. And to this day, you have people telling you viewers, oh, you're interested in watching Voyager? You don't need to see the first three seasons. Just start with Scorpion. They skip over those things. Those people are wrong because there's a lot of great stuff in the early seasons. 
it's absolutely terrible stuff too. Like, don't get me wrong. There's bad. Yes. <laughs> there's trash. Oh yeah. However, there's a lot of really good stuff too. Yeah. So definitely give the first three seasons a look, and definitely give Kess a look because I think she's a very underrated character, even in the show. Yes, absolutely in the show. So Kess is one of the original cast. She's in the pilot through to the second the second episode of the fourth season, The mm. Gift. And then she comes back for one episode in season six. It's bad. And when we did Caretaker on yes. this podcast, I mentioned that it was pretty clear to me that there were three protagonists in Caretaker. Mm. Janeway, Tom Paris, and Kess. She gets an arc. Yes. In the same way that Tom Paris does. Honestly, both Tom Paris and Kess get more of an arc than Janeway, but Janeway is the main protagonist, and we're introduced to her, and she's certainly the center of the show. So I yes. have to count her. But the people who actually change and do things mm. <laughs> during Caretaker are Tom Paris and Kess. I feel like Caretaker marks the catalyst for Janeway's arc to begin, whereas for Kess and Tom, they sort of come to a new point in their story within the course right. of the episode. That's always interesting to me because then Kess doesn't even get a starring role in an episode until the second season. No, although she's a very strong presence throughout, particularly in the first few episodes. She does a lot and she actually has the most potential for growth in if you actually look at the bones of her character and who she is and what she's doing in yeah. relation to the rest of the crew I don't know why they couldn't develop her I relate her to Deanna Troy a lot absolutely they have the same problem with Deanna and with Kess that they have this idea for a really amazing character and they are completely incapable of bringing it to the screen or the page I feel like with Kess, this is a problem baked into it from the very beginning because I'm looking at the Voyager Bible and you have entries for Elizabeth Janeway and Chakotay and Doc Zimmerman and then you have Neelix and Kess and we have one, two, three paragraphs on Neelix, one paragraph on Kess and then another on Neelix, another on Kess and the two of them together. Kess is not really treated as a character in her own right in this very first iteration of the story that they want to tell. Kess is Neelix's Okampa lover. She is delicate, beautiful, young, and has a lifespan of only nine years. Neelix adores her, is protective of her, is insanely jealous of her. Kess doesn't give him any reason for those feelings. She loves Neelix and is loyal to him. But she is inquisitive and eager to absorb knowledge about this starship and its fascinating crew. She is an innocent who sees humanity through a fresh perspective and the crew of Voyager never cease to fascinate her. Thanks, I hate it. Yeah, and then the last paragraph on Kess is, Kess helps Neelix cook and serve, but she'd much rather be roaming the ship, getting to know the people. Neelix can never seem to find her when he needs her, and he's always sure she's standing up in a closet with a sailor. Big yikes. Big yikes. And, and yucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know that the greatest gen guys have had a lot of comedic mileage out of standing up in a closet with a sailor, and I don't think that I can be any funnier than they are, but I'm just so puzzled that this is how they approach their third female lead, that she's not really a person in her own right. I mean, the whole description goes a long way to explain why I really dislike Neelix. Yes. And I have friends and people that I know and respect who have told me that they relate to Neelix. Huh. That's like a huge red flag to me. <laughs> and I get, there's like this cognitive dissonance between I know you and you're not this person and yet you relate to Neelix. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people who relate to Barkley too, and that also squicks me. I think that what they're going for in these characters is like awkward and he doesn't fit in with the normal Starfleet group and, and has to try harder or insert themselves or, or learn how to speak the language or something. Mm. I don't know. But I, the way it's actually on the in the story is not that. It's creepy. I don't like how you have no boundaries and don't believe people when they tell you what's going on. No. And no. So I so it's it doesn't come off that way to me at all and I just really don't Neelix is a hundred percent better when he is no longer dating Kess and even better when she's off the show. Mm. But Neelix never gets up to a level where like He's a character that I like. He's just never quite a character that I like because he's introduced so terribly. And he does get better, but he still treats Tuvok in the same way that he treats Cass. And yes. I don't like it. Yes. Uh, I do identify with that. If I lived on a ship with Tuvok, I would desperately want him to be my friend. But I like to think that I would go about it with a little bit more respect than Neelix shows. It's in also interesting in the Bible, a few pages later, there is a page of character descriptions. This time Janeway has the correct name, but the Doctor and Kess are excluded entirely. And Jennifer Lean doesn't get an actor bio at all. It's very strange. It it's... really is. Because by this point in her career, she had more credits and experience behind her than Garrett Wong. She had done years on a daytime soap daytime soaps you know women like those so they don't count as acting oh no 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 of course of course how silly uh, i mean kate mulgrew started in daytime soap oh that was a fluke right ha 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 also ryan's hope wasn't like those other soaps it was a realistic <sighs> soap about the working class i've never watched it i'm sure it's great it's not really my genre <laughs> i mean i've watched enough soaps <laughs> to have an opinion about them and i love like you know people are complaining that svu is a, is a quote unquote a soap opera now mm -hmm. and those people are wrong svu has always been a soap opera so i don't know what show they've been watching did they watch original law and order from the 90s and think oh yeah that's svu yeah, clearly not. They, yeah, they're confused. They're very confused because literally the first episode of SVU is extremely mm -hmm. soap operatic. But anyway, this is not an SVU podcast yet, despite my my attempts. You have this list of character beats for Kess here: short lifespan, mm -hmm. psychic powers, the Doctor's apprentice and advocate, and then I've added not like other girls. Because this is something that comes up a lot in reviews of Caretaker. A lot of new viewers are like, 
wow, Kes is not at all what I expected. She's young, but she has this really husky voice and this great old soul presence. And it's true. I love that. And I too was surprised when I heard Jennifer Lynn's voice for the first time. But then it sort of gets into, she's not like a normal teenage girl character. And then there was Lean herself in 1995 saying, I'm not playing a teenager in this. I'm playing a young mind, spirit body. So much that is associated with being young has to do with things that this role doesn't really encompass. No sort of cynicism or precociousness or pretentiousness or sarcasm. None of the usual female dot dot dot. It's good. Another yikes. Yes. Because, first of all, that's not true. <laughs> Maybe that's what she was playing. And I agree with the I'm not playing a teenager in this. Yeah, Kess is very much a grown adult woman. No sort of cynicism or precociousness or pretentiousness or sarcasm. What? Hmm? I feel like, given her age, Lean was probably getting a lot of roles for, you know, the smart-ass teenage girl in the sitcom who is always sarcastic and doesn't really have a lot of depth to a persona beyond that. And it just bugs me that we go, Wesley Crusher, he's a normal teenage boy. Jake Sisko, he's even more of a normal teenage boy. Kess is not like other girls. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, no. I do wish that they had been much clearer in stating that Kess was an adult of her species because yeah. people, I think, interpret the Neelix relationship as pedophilic and I think that's inaccurate and also in poor taste. And I don't want to have to defend Neelix, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It was a choice mm. to do this whole lifespan thing and then to sort of suggest that her nine-year lifespan in the Delta Quadrant is the same as a, a nine-year lifespan mm. on Earth, I which they yeah. didn't have to do. <laughs> Jerry Taylor was really pushing for this character and described her as a mayfly because I think mayflies have a really short lifespan. I don't know insects. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting and compelling idea. I think where they made the mistake was in making her look like any old Star Trek alien being a pretty girl with weird ears. Had they given her antennae or like vestigial wings, done something to make her look more insectoid, I think we would really struggle less with this idea. Yeah, they, they sort of did that in Elogium where yeah. she has the sack on her back where she's giving birth. Yes. And yes, if they had leaned into that more, I think... Elogium is a terrible episode that I love. I have a lot of <laughs> opinions about Elogium, starting with the fact that everyone but me is wrong about it. Uh, but we'll get to that. So the, the issue with the short lifespan is, yes, that it sets her up to be treated as a child when she's not a child. Yes. And they didn't do a good job at all of making it seem like there wasn't something like they could have cast neelix younger yeah that would have helped because neelix is very like he's very childish he's yes. super childish he's yes. more childish than Cass. but just the fact that ethan phillips is like 15 years older yeah makes it look weird again there's that cognitive dissonance between what you're watching and what you're being told i i, I think that's it exactly and if they had cast someone Jennifer Lean's age as Neelix, maybe the whole thing would have worked out better. Maybe his jealousy would have seemed less like an ingrained toxic personality trait and yeah. more like something that a young person in their first serious relationship has to learn to deal with. 
So if you read the Game of Thrones book, mm. the first book, Jon Snow is so likable yes. in that book. But then you watch the the first season of the TV series, and I'm just like, you are a grown man. Stop acting like a 12-year-old. But he is a kid. Yeah. <laughs> He's like 14. And so he comes across as that precocious really good guy who's mm. trying to figure out his life but he's 14 and so he's supposed to be yes but the fact that they cast a full grown man with the beard in the show makes it very difficult imagine a young doug jones as neelix oh that's kind of sweet i think he's in his late 50s now so he'd still be a fair bit older than lean but he has a youthful face even in his 50s even now yes yeah I think he conveys youth in a way that Ethan Phillips did not. And Ethan Phillips is a good actor, and he plays oh, yeah. Neelix well. I yeah. just can't stand him. <laughs> it's Nothing n- against Ethan Phillips. No, it's not Ethan Phillips's fault. We have the same problem with the Doctor, because I like Cass and the Doctor's relationship more than Cass and Neelix, mm. and if you think about it, she's older yeah. than the Doctor in many ways and yet it's another you know 40 year old man who's back <laughs> in honor and it's like come on what's going on here but i like their relationship better than i like the doctors with seven because yes kes is the older and more experienced person and she very much pushes the doctor he is teaching her medicine but she is teaching him how to be a person and i think so in a lot of ways I... that's her most reciprocal relationship Yes, and it's sort of her legacy because yeah. when she leaves, what she's changed is the Doctor. And in a sense, he goes on and shares her lessons with Seven of Nine. I will forever be sad that we don't get Kess and Seven of Nine. Forever. <sighs> forever sad I have been sad about that since, what, 1997? I'm, I'm going to get over it soon, I'm sure. So Kess's psychic powers, very undefined conveniently vague conveniently forgotten when they would be a problem and Mm. remembered when they would be useful to the plot very much like deanna troy in that regard exactly i could not explain her powers to someone who hasn't seen voyager or someone who has seen voyager right now sometimes she senses things sometimes she can like use telekinesis Mm -hmm. sometimes she can completely destroy things with a thought it's difficult to find the rules for kes's powers but it has just occurred to me that that's because she's in the wrong universe kes is force sensitive and should have been a jedi that should definitely have been a jedi i've also described her as jean gray yes the mutant x-men who starts out with just telekinesis and telepathy but ends up with the power to destroy the universe and it's sort of the same story as kiss this uh warning about women getting too powerful in their minds they'll kill us all i roll (laughs) you've made a list of her notable relationships Neelix. I don't want to discuss Neelix anymore. Can we move on? I know he's going to come up again, but I don't want to talk about Neelix. Uh, Tom, who is in love with her. The Doctor, who is in love with her. Tuvok, who I think sees her as a daughter and is not in love with her. And Janeway, 
who also sees her as, oh, she's Janeway and Tuvok's daughter. Oh, that's really sweet. I love it. I'm keeping yes. it. Yes. But I want to say when I wrote this, I put Janeway on it, but yes. she's last for a reason. It was very much, does Janeway count as a notable relationship for Cass? I... And I decided, yes, that they yes. do have enough scenes that Janeway has real feelings towards Cass. And, and Cass does certainly look up to Janeway. Mm. So I decided that, yes, they have that same sort of relationship as she has with Tuvok, as you mentioned. But compared to the men, yeah, it's, it's sort of secondary. Kes goes to Janeway when she's in a crisis, when she's in the Elogium or when Tuvok has been transformed into Tuvix. That's when she interacts with Janeway. But they don't hang out. They don't have a casual friendship or even a non-casual friendship the way Kes does with Tom. Part of that is that Janeway is the captain and she doesn't have that kind of relationship with almost anyone. No. But Valana's right there, and they never interact. Right. So let's talk about Tom. Because there's this really uncomfortable love triangle mm -hmm. with Neelix and Cass and Tom. Tom is sort of the little black dress of Voyager. Yes. Where you set up with all three women. Yes. At some point. And is also Harry's best friend and stands up for Neelix. Like, when Tom leaves mm -hmm. to be a spy, Neelix does that little, like, tribute on his YouTube channel. Yes. And he has this adversarial relationship with Chicote. Of all the men, Tom is the most chippable. <laughs> so, it's interesting that they definitely do have this love triangle thing where they set up for Neelix and Tom to be adversarial about Kess. Mm. And, again, that adds to the whole young adult, you know, teen paranormal romance of the situation. Yes. You, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> Voyager. No. The problem for me, and this is no shade on Robert Duncan McNeil, but I do not at any point believe Tom really is in love with Kess. I think he likes her a lot. I think he thinks he's in love with her. But I also think he's been emotionally isolated for so long that he has forgotten how to be friends with a woman. I can see that. I don't see love. I don't even see attraction in their interactions. It's also high school. And yeah. Like, it's just, it's poorly written. It's poorly it is. written. It is. So that the actors are sort of stuck with this, ugh, we have to do this stupid, mm. you know, 90210 plot. I think that's enhanced with the weird asexuality of Kess and Neelix's relationship where Absolutely. they rarely kiss, they rarely touch, they don't seem to share quarters. Are they actually a couple or is Kess capable of having intercourse outside of the elogium? Again, I think she is too humanoid. They definitely never talk about any of this. No. And... And again, like, Kess is also stuck in sort of a love triangle between Neelix and the Doctor and Kess. All of her development should not be equated with the relationships that she's having and the relationships that she's having with men. Like, she even kisses Tuvok that one time. Oh, I forgot. And yes. They 
seriously don't know how to write her as a young adult woman mm. who has her own story, her own plotline going on. Even when she does get episodes, like the, the closest I'd say that she has to her own, you know, it being about Kess mm. is Cold Fire. And there's still an older man, man yeah. who is going after her and trying to convince her to leave Voyager for him. Yes. And is mentoring her in order to convince her that she can be useful to him and yes. his purposes. <laughs> Instead of, you could be more powerful for you. You mentioned earlier that she doesn't really have a relationship with Belana, and I'd never thought of that, but it makes me really mad. Because one of my pet peeves is that the show completely forgets that Belana and Seska were best friends in favour of pushing the Seska Chakotay thing. And I yep. kind of wish that Kess had filled that gap that Seska's betrayal created. And I think Belana would have really benefited from having a friend who is outside of the Marquis Starfleet dynamic, who understands her temper and respects her and who takes her for what she is. I love this idea in the Bible that Kess wants to learn about the Starfleet and the Alpha Quadrant people the same way they want to learn about the Delta Quadrant. You know, she is exploring us. And I think a friendship with Balana would have been a great way to express that. But the writers just weren't interested in relationships between women. And they are peers. Yes. Or they would be peers. That would be a relationship, a friendship between two adult women. Yes. Neither of which is in a position of power over the other. Yes. And neither of which is trying to mentor anybody. They're very close at, in developmental age, if not literally right. years. It would have helped mm. see Cass as an adult, and it would have given Balana, yeah, absolutely, someone who doesn't have expectations yes. on her, the way literally everyone in her life does. I love Voyager so much, but I really just wish I could go back in time and infiltrate the writer's room and go, hey... <laughs> Hey guys, have you considered? And they'd be like, who are you? Call security. Get this woman out of here. But in my fantasy, I make Voyager a lot better. I'm going to do something crazy uh -oh. for us on this podcast. Voyager and Picard are very similar. In that the central character is incredibly inconsistently written. They don't completely understand their own premise. And Jerry Ryan turns up halfway through and steals the show. Yes. And for me personally, that I inexplicably love them the most. No. I've come to this conclusion in the past, you know, month or so, where I've been paying more attention to Picard than Discovery. And it's sort of like how I pay more attention to Voyager than Deep Space Nine, in that I, Discovery doesn't need my help, doesn't need me to... Uh, do anything to make it better than it is. I do this about Star Wars too. Empire Strikes Back is great and is not my favorite <laughs> because <Yes. laughs> I don't have to help that movie. You're not a passive. Whereas Attack the Clones, 
I love, I love Attack of the Clones. It's so good. It needs a lot of my help. But when I help it, it's an amazing movie and everybody should watch it with me. No, this makes perfect sense to me. But also, yes. I realized as you were talking that Soji is Kes 2.0. I can see that, yes. She has the same problem. Yeah, yeah. In that she's stuck being sort of passed around among the men. And doesn't get to drive the story in her own right. And right. in fact, when she does, or when Sutra does, she's villainized for it. Yes, absolutely. Same as Kes. Like Kes, she is also much, much younger than she seems. We don't know exactly when Soji and Daj were created, but probably they're about as old as Kes. One or two years old. Wow, thanks, I hate it. I just want Soji and Kes to be friends. Kes needs friends. She does need friends. I don't see Jennifer Lean returning to acting anytime well, soon, but no. yeah, please write that fic, though. Okay. Where Kes, having recovered from the incidents of coal fire, no, fury, uh, and fury. achieved emotional equilibrium, meet Soji and they hang out. That's right. Do you want to hear my theory about why everyone is wrong about Elosium? Oh, yes, I do. Okay, so it's the teen pregnancy episode, right? Kes experiences puberty and thinks maybe she should have a baby, but she's very, very young, right? Yes. But Kes is a grown woman. This is actually a story about premature menopause and the situation that many women in their 20s and 30s find themselves where they realise that their opportunity to have a child is much more fleeting than they realised and they have to decide now whether they want to have children, whether or not they're in a place for it with their career, whether or not their relationship is right for it, this is their only chance. Mm. And that is elogium. Interesting. I can definitely see that. People don't talk about premature menopause. Right. I mean, people don't talk about anything to do with any of this because no, no. women's ickiness isn't just not something that we ever see in movies or in mainstream. No. Or even over the dinner table. Like, it's no. not something we talk about at all. And I should say that I only realise that everyone is wrong about Elogium except me because I listened to the Women at Warp episode about it the day mm. after a friend of mine posted about being told she was about to enter premature menopause and having to decide whether she should have a baby right now. So this is not even my experience. It's just something I've seen a couple of friends go through. And I actually think Elosium works much better as a story when you look at it in this light, except for the bit where it's all about Neelix. I, I cannot defend anything that Neelix does in that entire episode. <sighs> it's horrible. It's really a story about... A guy finding out that his girlfriend is going into premature menopause and wondering if he should have a baby with her. And then at the end, he's like upset that she didn't have the baby. And it's just like, you know what? You are not in charge. You were invited into this situation. <laughs> and I am angry at Cass for doing that because you have proven to be the wrong person. No, it's sort of interesting. I recently reread Barrier by Lois McMaster Bujold, which was published, I think, in 1992. And that also has a couple who experience a pregnancy scare and then sort of mourn the child that never existed. And so maybe that was just a very 90s trope. 
I mean, maybe that's what they were trying to do was have it be he's mourning yeah, the idea. Yeah. But it came across as I'm angry for you making this decision. I am prepared to say that Jerry Taylor is not nearly as good a writer as Lois McMaster Buchold. <laughs> I like Elysium because it deals with this. And I just said that no one ever deals with this. <laughs> I was on an episode of Women at Wharf that was about Star Trek episodes for girls. Oh, yeah. Like, specifically for young women. Yes. How, you know, I'm a mom. How do I share Star Trek with my child? Yeah. With my, my daughter. And I suggested Melogium because it is a really good conversation starter. Absolutely. Watch Elogium with your nine-year-old and be like, so in the next couple years, <laughs> you're going to get your period. And this is what that means. And this is how it's going to change your body. And this is how it's going to affect the rest of your life. And good news, you won't have a sack on your back. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just think even the, the imagery that they use, it's blatant and ridiculous. And I laugh every time, but it's a really good learning tool. No, like, no. My mother died before we had this conversation. Oh. So the extent of my knowledge about any of it was my fifth grade health class, oh, which no. was slides like these are the fallopian tubes. Oh and god, I'm so sorry. There was no actual discussion of anything that's like how this is going to affect your body or this is, you know, what people do about it. You can take Advil or, mm. you know, or this is how to buy a pad none of that was included and so i didn't have any of that knowledge <laughs> i had to make it up and it, the internet was in its infancy <laughs> there was no scarlatine for you so i was like i was stuck and so elogium is special to me as this idea of hey they briefly cared about <laughs> the women's reproductive system in star trek never to be seen again no, I think that is completely valid, and I hadn't thought of that from that perspective. Not everyone is wrong about Elogium, but I do think that the premature menopause interpretation deserves more attention. I think it's a good one. Thank you. I think that's, I think that's, that's great. Then we have Cold Fire. <sighs> okay, so Cold Fire is where we meet another caretaker. Yes. And they're just as terrible as the first caretaker. Yes. We meet Mora Compton, one of whom is 12 years old. Yes. Which is older than we are meant to believe a Coppa can be. Yes. And he's played by Gary Graham, and he's the creepy dude I was talking about that is trying to steal Kess away from Voyager by basically telling her that she's better than them and mm. he can make her good and he can make her powerful and she'll never gain that level and she'll never live to be 12 yeah. if she stays with Voyager. Real cult leader vibes. Yes. The good part of that episode is Tuvok and Kess. They have a relationship. It doesn't start in Cold Fire, but we see Tuvok helping her with her psychic abilities in yeah. a healthy way that's yes. about helping her figure out what they are 
and how they can be used and how she can have control over them instead of them controlling her. Her relationship with Tuvok is so healthy. It just gives me... Oh my gosh. I It's... Yeah. Tuvok is best Vulcan. <laughs> We've already addressed that Tuvok is the best Vulcan. Tuvok is a wonderful mentor. I absolutely believe that he's a great father. Tuvok does not get enough screen time, and every time he does, I just love him. He is great. So, but with Cass, he definitely sees her as a daughter, as someone who he can help grow into the person that she was meant to be. Not by forcing anything on her or telling her how to do it, but just by sort of providing the support, like the foundation for her, and then she can grow herself. Yes. It's so healthy. I don't like the gift as an episode, mm -hmm. but the final seconds where Tuvok lights a candle, he's alone in his quarters and he lights a candle for Cass and he just looks devastated in a very Vulcan way. Yeah, yeah. I just want to cry. I want to sob. He is the one, more than anyone else on this ship, who mourns her. Yes. Like, everyone else is sort of like, well, Cass left. <laughs> That's sad, and we're going to miss her, but mm. it happens. Like, Janeway is very sad, but she also has this brand new Borg to take her mind off. Yeah, it's, it's, like, she's like, oh, I, I, got a, I got a new one. I can get to start over from... That, that sounds very callous, but I think uh, everyone else feels like Cass is going on to something better, and Tuvok agrees, but he's also mourning for what she left behind. And I think that that is very Vulcan. It's devastating to me. It's so... I just love their relationship. You know, I love their relationship more than I do Kess and the Doctor or Kess and Janeway. I don't like her relationship with Neelix and I sort of tolerate it with Tom. I, I think also Tuvok, as you say, wants nothing specific for Kess. Even Janeway has expectations. Whereas mm. Tuvok, he doesn't treat parenthood as creating a bonsai plant where you snip and you shape and you force something into the form you want it to take. Tuvok is right. more free form, which is really delightful in a Vulcan. It's hard for a human parent to be that way. It's delightful in a Vulcan and he does it with everyone. He mentors Seven, he mentors Balana. He has a very rich relationship with Janeway. He even like treats Lan Suter yeah. as a person. You know, he's going to help him. Yes. And obviously he judges his actions, but he doesn't judge the person. Yeah. But this is not an episode about Tuvok. I know. I was going to say, we have to stop talking about Tuvok because we're supposed to be talking about Cass. <laughs> Let's talk about Warlord, where she totally kisses Tuvok. I mean, she's possessed at the time. She does suggest that she knows on some level that Tuvok has always wanted to kiss her, which is fair. She's very pretty. And to be honest, if I saw Tuvok in that tactical Starfleet turtleneck, I would maybe want to kiss him also. Mm -hmm. But this is the quintessential Kess episode in that she's possessed by a man for most of it. It is literally about <laughs> a man controlling her. It's about a man controlling her and the men who save her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and also, like, Chakotay, Tuvok, and Neelix all go on this mission to save her. Maybe even Tom. It's like, why is the entire bridge crew I know, I know. on this mission? I just want to point when out, you... 
that Janeway saves Paris and Harry single-handedly in the shoot. And, and so if she had led this away mission, it would have been over much faster. So, yeah, so that, yes, that episode is not about Cass at all. She befriends the aliens. Yes. Which is, according to the Bible, her thing. She is <laughs> that's, an explorer. That's her, her job. Yes. And it results in her being possessed. And the, the brother of the warlord, I think, is the one who's like, we've been trying to get rid of him for generations. And, and and we fail, so you're not going to get her back. You, know, you should just give up now. And they are like, no, she's Cass. We care about her. So it's like, in theory, Cass is important. There, there are the scenes that take place in Cass's head where she, as herself, is fighting with the dude who is possessing her body. And I think those are great. They really highlight her strength of will. And that she does not need to be a 90s-style strong female character. She is always soft-spoken, she never resorts to violence, but she is absolutely powerful. And I think that power without resorting to the styles of the 90s is kind of why they struggled to write her. But it's also just a disappointing and exploitative episode all around. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's really all you need to say about it. Yeah. But I have one more thing to say about it. It's the episode where Kes breaks up with Neelix. Yes. While being possessed, but then they're broken up anyway. Which is great to me. If someone could possess me just to have the awkward conversations that I would prefer <laughs> to avoid myself, and then I get to take control of my body and go about my life with those awkward conversations in the past, I'd be okay with that. That's a reasonable change. Okay. I, I do so. also think Warlord begins the pattern of Kess in season three where they're trying to sex her up. She's wearing a, a black oh, leather version of her usual type of costume. She almost kisses the Warlord's wife. It's very much, look, we do have a sexy girl, honest. Please watch our show, men. She actually has a number of focus episodes in season three. It, it feels like they're making a last ditch effort to prove that the character was valuable before they gave up. Mm. So then there's before and after. Uh, no, there's Darkling, which is... Oh, Darkling. I forgot about Darkling. An episode about the Doctor where Cass falls in love. <laughs> uh, yes, again, it has really nothing to do with Cass. She has a romantic relationship with another alien. This one treats her well. There's nothing wrong with this guy. He, he's, he's sort of one of your milk toasty Star Trek male love interests, but he's also a bit of right. a manic pixie dream guy, and that seems to be something Kess is into. Yeah, so, you know, go for it, Kess. Yeah. Get that. He, he's like a more age-appropriate Neelix. Right, and she's also exploring what she likes, what yes. she wants. Yes. Which, if Neelix was my first boyfriend, <laughs> I would... Be ready to explore as well. Yeah. But her relationship bothers the doctor because the doctor is very codependent. Yes. The doctor is almost as bad at boundaries as Neelix. Yes, absolutely. And he's also like playing with his algorithm like mm. you do. Mm. And so he becomes sort of eel doctor and he kidnaps her. And 
basically she talks him down. Yeah. But it doesn't really work and they like <laughs> leave to their death. But they get transported and somehow that fixes everything. <laughs> None of it makes sense. The end of that episode makes zero sense. They set it up mm. and they get to the kidnapping and then they're like, oh no, we have to end this episode. <laughs> what if we leap to our doom but don't die and everything's fine? I sort okay. of took it as they effectively switch the doctor off and back on again. But yeah, it, it doesn't really hold together. It's notable that Kes falls in love with this flaky, manic, pixie dream guy, but then decides she needs more stability. I think that's a useful journey for her. But... Mm -hmm. It's not really about her so much. It's as not it, really about her. It's about her being an object in the Doctor's life. And she wouldn't have come to that conclusion if she wasn't kidnapped by yeah. the person that she has the most screen time with. It's like the Doctor does terrible things and gets what he wants because of it. Yes, absolutely. I think that's what I ended my recap with. <laughs> I, I actually think Darkling was the point in my rewatch where I was like, maybe I don't like the Doctor anymore. <laughs> but then we have Before and After, which is actually one of my favourite Voyager episodes. My favourite of season three, next to Worst Case Scenario, in which Kes travels back from through her life from her death to her birth. It is well plotted, it mm -hmm. is well paced, it is well acted. Jennifer Lynn shines in this one and she has a whole bunch of different relationships there's a through line to both the past the previous episodes and the through line to future episodes because yes. she sees things that are going to happen so it's really interesting i i too i've always mm. liked that episode there's a podcast that i've started listening to mm. called that aged well oh yeah where they watch movies from the 80s and 90s and they talk about how well you know they wouldn't be made today because of xyz yes or you yes. know what the problematic parts of these movies are and i have to say that before and after has some of the same trip ups do you mean the bit where she marries tom and has a child with him and then a couple of years later harry kim marries that child yes that's what i mean and again if voyager portrayed the Ocampo better in a way where we as the audience understood their lifespan and their physiology and their growth cycle, <laughs> then this wouldn't be as problematic. But the way that Voyager does portray it, it's a little disturbing that, like, you know, Harry was probably that kid's godfather. It's definitely a bit... You know, the end of Breaking Dawn where the werewolf falls in love right. with the baby. It's better than uh... that. And because I am a Star Trek fan and I am accustomed to suspending disbelief, I can absolutely buy, oh yeah, for the Ocampo this is a totally normal thing and it's probably a bit weird for Tom and Harry but clearly they're working around it and I can buy it. But I also don't want to think about it. They have her grandson. Yes. Who's Harry's son, and he's like, I don't know, like 12 mm -hmm. human years. Yes. And I spend a lot of the episode trying to figure out how old he is 
you know, comp a years I don't know, and like trying six to figure months? out like exactly. It's like that's weird. Isn't that weird? Like that that he's been around for like three months, but he has a better relationship with Cass than literally anyone else on the ship. I yeah, I, I guess if if before and after was more than forty five minutes long, I would definitely want to get into that more. But because through Kess we only catch glimpses of these relationships, mm. and because to her this is a normal growth period and a normal age mm. span, I am prepared to go along with it. Okay. Mm. Again, I love the episodes. Oh and I yeah, think it's really well done. I just if I think about it too much, I start to be a little worried about things what you should think about next or not if you prefer is tom and kes's daughter linus being friends with naomi wildman and then a few months later being old enough to babysit her exactly it's interesting i mean naomi wildman to be fair goes from infant to 11 year old in about the same span of time you know, I so, think the, the greatest thing Discovery ever did was drop a baby off on a time travel planet and then come back and he's Ken Mitchell. Like, let's just admit that Star Trek is not good at children and aging. Yeah, just, and... Let's just skip that. Skip that entirely. To be honest, if I could skip the less interesting childhood years and go straight into adolescence, I would be totally up for that if I had kids. Again, I wish that we got to know more about the Ocampa lifespan yeah. and how it works. I'm interested in that, and I feel like if I had that, I mm. wouldn't be disturbed by this. It bugs me because I know that just a few years later with Enterprise, they have viable remote control antennae, and had they made Kess less pink and human looking and had they given Mm. her little antennae maybe establish that she lays eggs instead of giving birth through a sack in her back which i still don't fully understand i feel like i would have had a lot fewer questions if kes looks like mantis from i was just gonna say yeah when you first mentioned antenna and kes i pictured Mantis. mantis and mantis is very childlike and very much an adult woman yes to the point where they sort of go with the born sexy yesterday trope for her, which they really avoid with Kess in an interesting way, but mostly by not giving her a sexuality at all. Anyway. Yeah. I am normally weirdly squicked out by reimaginings of Star Trek aliens. Like, there's a lot of fan art where Cardassians have tails, and I don't know, it just squicks me. But I would be up for a more insectoid redesign of the Ocampa. Hmm. I like it. Then we have the gift, which is mostly about seven of nine, but along the way... Every episode we're like, well, this is actually about this other character, but I guess it's a guest episode. The B-plot is Kess having been psychically in contact with species 8472 in the Scorpion two-parter. It sort of triggers an evolution into another state... Maybe. This is another one that I can't explain what happens. It, it is very much, we're going to write something to get rid of Kess. Mm. It does not hold up to any scrutiny. It follows Star Trek logic, which is that some species evolve into light and we just don't ask too many questions. That happens a lot. She sort of has the same arc as John Doe from that one episode on Next Generation. And then it's parodied by Lower Decks because mm-hmm. it really is sort of hilarious if you think about it too much. 
I don't hate this ending for Kess. I like it much more than killing her off or marrying her off to some dude or really any other way of getting rid of her. But then there's Fury when she comes back and she's angry and I just hated that episode and repressed its existence. I saw it on your list of Kess episodes and I was like, wait, what? Kess came back? And then I remembered how angry I was. I hate that episode. Good. It is horrific. So basically, Kess comes back and tells Voyager that they shouldn't have let her leave. Yeah. And then they talk her down by showing her a hologram of a younger Kess on Voyager, basically telling her, yeah, you, you know, you learned a lot here and then you went on to your own destiny and it was great and you shouldn't be angry. So Kess is her own manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> Which is bad. I want to live in the place where Cass is so angry that Voyager didn't fight for her that she's destroying the ship. Like, I'm way more interested in that than I am in, we knew this was going to happen and so we, like, made this view for you. That's such a terrible retcon. It's such a terrible concept. I hate it. I hate both of these things. And I remember, I've only seen this episode once and it was when it came out, but I remember feeling like being angry that you were allowed to leave just felt so unhealthy and so antithetical to the oh. Star Trek ideal of growth and exploration. It is absolutely unfair of yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. But... Kess isn't allowed to ever like have those emotions, so I I'm interested in No, that's it, true. And that also also at the time I felt like it was unfair to Jennifer Lean to make her play oh, yes. that you shouldn't have let me go plotline. Oh yes. And then knowing now what we do about her mental health, it just seems even worse. Oh, the meta story is horrific. That should never have happened. Yeah. If they were going to bring her back it should have been a happy story. Yeah. It should have been a good thing yes. for both the character and the actress. I feel like it just exacerbated the whole situation and it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened the way it did and it it's just painful no. to me. So I bought the book, Star Trek Voyager, A Celebration, which came out last year. I bought it entirely because the review said it had new information about Jennifer Lean's departure. And it does. Mm. Let me read to you. The rest of the cast had a sense that Lean's family life had not been easy, but as Robert Duncan McNeil explains, she rarely, if ever, talked about herself. There was always a bit of weight that she seemed to carry that you couldn't quite put your finger on. There was a seriousness that she carried all the time, personally and in her performance, said Robert Duncan McNeil. As time progressed, that emotional weight became an issue, and the cast and crew started to realise that Lean was suffering with personal, and many assumed addiction, issues that had a serious effect on her. Those issues started to affect her reliability, and as a result, the producers reduced the amount of screen time devoted to her. We knew that there was something going wrong, Jerry Taylor says, but she wouldn't talk or let us offer to help. She just shut down. The situation became so serious that, reluctantly, the producers decided to drop Lean's character during the fourth season. At the time, everyone felt it was inappropriate to discuss the real reasons in public, but her problems later in life have been well documented. So... 
first, I don't believe the bit where they tried to reduce her screen time because we were just talking about how many episodes she has focused on her in season three. But it does seem like she had fairly profound issues, whether that's mental health or addiction or a combination of the two. And I think they were not obliged to keep her employed through that time if she wouldn't accept Mm. help, but they didn't have to bring her back the way they did. Right. With that context, it feels like Fury was a punishment for her for not being able to stay on the job. I don't know how Fury came about. I don't know who decided that was a good idea because I just think it was a bad idea. I think that Kes had a good ending. Yeah. If, If we had to write her off. She had a good ending. She had a, again, a Wesley ending. Yes. So you could imagine her traveling, you know, voyaging through the galaxy on her own, doing what she was doing on Voyager, but for herself. Mm. And that's interesting and that's compelling. And bringing her back and making her angry about it destroys that. Yeah. It destroys the good ending, it makes it feel painful. It punishes all of us. It punishes Kess, it punishes the Voyager crew, and it punishes the audience. None of us deserved that. That was not a good way to spend 45 minutes. Why did that happen? I just don't want it. And if it was meant to be like an olive branch to Jennifer Lean to say like, maybe we didn't support you in the way that we could have Mm. i mean i believe that she wouldn't talk or let us offer to help she just shut down like i've seen that i know what that is and i believe that it's valid representation of what happened but it's pretty rough also to think that you see this person who is clearly struggling who is clearly disintegrating in front of you and you let them go Mm. that's a reasonable business decision and they're not responsible for her but bringing but... her back just seems like a slap in the face yeah what are you trying to say with that i don't know what the point is it doesn't feel good i just think lean's story is so sad and i really hope that she is in a better place now and she doesn't owe it to us as fans to ever mm-hmm. let us know how she's doing but i hope she's doing well I'm pretty sad about this first sentence. The rest of the cast had a sense that her family Mm. night had not been easy, but she never talked about herself. Like, I'm upset. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I feel a lot of empathy for that person. Cut that uh, quote down quite a bit. It was McNeil and Ethan Phillips talking about how she was incredibly smart and extremely artistic and she read a lot of poetry but she would never ever talk about herself and she was the sort of person who had that gift of asking you questions and engaging you in a conversation about yourself and then you walk away and realize that she didn't reveal anything of herself in turn i i have experienced that yeah. and it feels very i i i again i just i feel so strongly for her i don't yeah. want to say i pity her or like have sympathy because i don't think that's the right reaction i have a lot of compassion for her and i think yeah. that strategy of 
asking about others and never revealing anything about yourself, I think that is a very common way for women with traumatic pasts to mm-hmm. hide in plain view. And, yeah, I I just want her to be well. I'm just, yeah. I, I used to be very angry that they fired her instead of mm. just dropping Kess back to a recurring role. And I'm still mm. sad about that, but maybe that was untenable. Mm. Yeah. Would you like to talk about costumes? I would, because I really enjoyed doing the Kess fashion project. I was really able to understand what was happening with her costumes because it was also it was a short period of time like uhura this like i mean now that we're getting more uhura oh god you've got there's to do updates. a lot of uhura so there's a through line but it changes with the time period it changes yeah. with the storyline and it changes with the actress so yes there are changes that are not related to the character and that's fun for me because then I have to think about how it does relate to the character Mm -hmm. but Kess was simpler and I was able to come up with what Kess's aesthetic is and Mm. it doesn't change even to Paul who was in about the same amount of episodes a little a few more but to Paul was impossible she changed her costume more than anyone of the other regulars and all of the choices were made based on the show and not on the character Kess made sense even when you could definitely tell that they were trying to sex her up yes make her more girly yes and yet it still made sense because the character was also going through changes and the character was opening up and there were reasons mm-hmm. it was not the same as we're going to make Paul sexy now no. As if Jolene Blaylock could be not sexy, but whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> you hire Jolene Blaylock, you don't need to put like... her in a cat suit for her to be remarkably attractive. And Jennifer Lean was also very, very beautiful, and they really very had pretty. a very coherent aesthetic for her. You know, she was Tinkerbell. She had the mm-hmm. pixie cut, a variety of bad wigs before they found a good one, and the little pointy <laughs> ears, and... The costumes in layers, which... I loved it. I'm so fascinated by these costumes because I desperately wanted to dress like this at the time as a teenage girl, and yet it wasn't really fashionable. Like, it was the 90s and layers were very easy. Maybe it wasn't and... fashionable for you. No, I no. I 100% dressed like that all the time. <laughs> but to be fair, I was a dance major. Okay. So... I was allowed to wear leggings as like a regular thing. Yes. (laughs) I was a theater kid and I was a dance major. And so I could wear matching tights and I could wear leggings and I could wear cute little skirts. And my hair was always up in a bun. You know, I was very much the Kess because I also wanted to be Tinkerbell. I mean, I Mm. call myself Pixie. Yeah. Yeah. You and she are coming from similar places. (laughs) And I agree that it wasn't the norm. I mean, I remember when grunge became a really big thing. Yeah. And it was all the plaid shirts and, and ripped jeans and then, like, the baby doll dresses. I would do grunge, but I would still be, like, dancer grunge. That is adorable. <laughs> I would wear a baby doll dress, but then I would wear, like, the footless tights. 
Oh, too, that's cute. You know? And so I just, I remember that time period very well and very fondly. I was 13 when I first encountered Kess and that Christmas I got Caretaker on VHS and I got a pair of wide-legged black pants and a baby doll t-shirt and one of those necklaces that's like a little pewter pendant on a black thread. Yes. That was basically my aesthetic for the next few years but I really wanted to wear cute pink layers like Kess and little boots and frankly I actually own a lot of jersey dresses that I pair with leggings and undershirts and ankle boots these days. So can I read this quote from Robert Blackman? Please because I might have a a rage stroke. I am am very disturbed by this entire thing. So this is I guess from Star Trek costumes. Yes. Kess was likable, yet for some reason, for some reason, she represented a deficit for a certain segment of the audience. As we will see in the next quote, an important segment of the audience. (laughs) No, but okay. Something was missing, and it was all too clear to Robert Blackman. Sex appeal. So, first of all, I'm going to comment while saying this, and then I'm going to let you go. Yes. (laughs) But... The idea that Kess is not sexy, mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry that she's not sexy to you, but she is wearing cute little dresses and she's very attractive. And I think plenty of people would be attracted to it. And I also think that women mm-hmm. count as people who can be attracted to women surely not gross to me that all of this is even happening but Mm. from the beginning he relates i kept saying to my crew he's like costume crew yeah i guess yeah okay here's the money line where is the gal that's going to attract the 14 to 43 year old males to the show i don't see where the fan base is in this equation Jennifer Lean was a very good actress, but Cass was too sweet, too clean, too whimsical. Her wardrobe reflected that too. It was the type of fashion that would appeal mainly to young girls. Now, I just said that that's true. Totally (laughs) did appeal mainly to young girls. However, I need to zero in on the 14 to 43-year-old males Mm -hmm. and how they are the fan base. Yes. First of all, the idea that the same woman is going to appeal to a 14-year-old and a 43-year-old upsets me yeah. on multiple levels. I, I know <laughs> that 14-year-old boys were very into Kess because she was the girl next door. Like, you can have different types of female sexuality. Yeah, you can have different types of female sexuality, and also a 14-year-old and a 43-year-old should not be attracted <laughs> to the same woman. Like, I'm sorry, I feel like this should be obvious, Yes. but a 14-year-old should find, like, maybe a 16-year-old attractive, Mm -hmm. whereas a 43-year-old male, yeah, shouldn't find Cass attractive if we're child-coding her, which I would argue against. However, I think that she is an appropriate crush object for a 14-year-old fan and not for a 43-year-old fan. I am... So upset. And it's also, why is it 43? This is just one of those particular demographic boxes that television was <sighs> into. 
I am so upset by this, no. this, just that one part. Where is the gal, gal? Like, mm -hmm. that's such a gross word, too, in this context. I know, like, I know. I am so, you, could, you couldn't say woman, but fine. Where's the gal that's going to attract the 14 to 43-year-old males to the show? I don't see where the fan base is in this equation. Mm -hmm. The only fan base they care about is the 14 to 43-year-old males, and the only gal that's going to attract them is a sexy gal who mm. is not sweet, clean, or whimsical or appeals to young girls. Everything about that is horrible. So first of all, I read this quote in the bookshop and I bought the book purely because I knew one day I was going to want to have a good rant about this. Second, the entire section about Kess's costumes and the deficit she represents for a certain segment of the audience is actually about Kess's relationship with Neelix. And at no point does Blackman think, hmm, Maybe the ugly guy who's way too old for her is the reason people don't find the Kess Neelix relationship attractive. Oh my gosh. I know. What is wrong with like that is a tried and true Hollywood trope. I know, the I know. Unattractive older man and the pretty little girl. And it never, ever crosses their mind that maybe Neelix is the problem. Which is wild to me because he is famously the most unpopular character in the show, particularly with male viewers. I, I have seen yeah. more female fans of Neelix than I have seen men. Because women tend to give a character a break. I shouldn't speak for all women, but I tend to give a character a break because I'm used to that. Like I'm yeah, used to yeah. men being terrible. And I have to, you know, in order to enjoy whatever it is I'm trying to enjoy, I have to convince myself that they have positive qualities. <laughs> Whereas women characters are forced to only have positive qualities. And if they have any negative qualities, they're immediately coded as a villain or a problem or a bitch. Or they have no negative qualities and then they're too sweet, too clean, too whimsical. It is impossible. Women cannot win. I am so upset by this entire No, concept. no, it's terrible. And the word that really jumped out at me as you were reading was clean. Kess was too clean. Because this was the mid-90s and it was the era of FHM and Maxim magazine. And that was sort of what Jerry Ryan was famous for. She did a little bit of acting and she did a lot of sexy, not nude, but suggestive modelling in men's magazines. And that was almost the entirety of Jolene Blaylock's career. And I feel like Blaylock leaned into it even harder than Jerry Ryan did. And it was really this sort of... I'm always torn because I don't want it to seem like I'm shaming them for doing these modeling shoots. It makes me personally uncomfortable. That's all. They got to be on Star Trek because they did that. Yeah. The fact that they are very talented actresses was secondary. Wasn't going to get their attention. In order to get the opportunity to audition for a role mm. that, I mean, Seven of Nine is an amazing role. T'Pol is too, but Seven of Nine is like next level. There's a reason that she was brought into Picard and it's because people care about that character. Yeah. 
there's a hundred different stories that you could tell with that character and jerry ryan owns it yes i mean we're gonna have a seven nine episode sometime mm. and, and i'm looking forward to it but the fact that seven is so well written despite her yeah. suit yeah the very distracting way that she is presented in Tapaltu is a testament to how well it can be done. But they didn't even try with Kess because she wasn't the right kind of woman. No. They didn't want to attempt to make the girl next door interesting. And there are plenty of people who would find Kess or Jennifer Lean deeply sexy. And I think that there are ways to be sexy without putting someone in a catsuit, which they did for Kess's final third of the show. They put her in a very cute velvet one-piece catsuit. Very similar to DePaul's clothes. Very, very similar. Better made, I think. I think HDTV really reveals how cheap Enterprise's costumes were. They just stopped putting any money into that show. Yeah. I, I just think, as you say, they did not even try with Kess. And it's really sad. And clearly Jennifer Lean's problems probably didn't help, but... But also, if you don't give someone a good enough reason to care about what they're doing yes. in the show and on the set, it'll, I'll, I'll say it about my job. If you don't give me something to go to my job to do that I want to do, yeah. that I feel like is worthy of my time, then I am not going to be as good at it, and I'm not going to care as much, and I'm going to go home when I'm done and have a glass of wine. Or three. I have to care about what I'm doing. I have to feel like I'm respected, that I'm seen, mm -hmm. that I am adding to what's happening. Yes. And I... If I was playing Cass, I can imagine feeling like I was the ninth person on the list mm. that, I, that I was mm. always going to be the last person that they cared about and that they were trying a bunch of different ways to make me interesting but didn't really care to put in the effort to actually do it. No, and you look at Jennifer Lean's other roles, she was doing indie movies, she played a punk in SLC Punk, which is a very well-known cult movie, she was in American History X playing a white supremacist, she was really drawn to crunchy and complicated characters, and Kess simply wasn't that. And I think it is very possible to have a character who is sweet and intelligent and kind and the girl next door who is also very complicated i think letting kess work with seven of nine could have really lent into that so as is i'm gonna say the conclusion of mm. most of our episodes that we have about women characters <laughs> in star trek a lot of potential a lot of misuse. Yeah. And I think what's particularly tragic about Kess is that she is still very underrated by fans. She doesn't have a renaissance the way other female characters do when they get reassessed. Mm. And because of Jennifer Lean's personal problems and her retirement, she's not going to come back in Picard. She's not going to turn mm -hmm. up in Prodigy. She's gone. And 
in Star Trek Voyager A Celebration, Kenneth Biller says, you know, he loved the character and he feels that just as Kess had a really short lifespan, Jennifer Lean's presence in, in, in their community was fleeting and he really mourns for that. Yeah. Justice for Jennifer Lean, justice for Kess. And as usual, if IDW or Pocket Books want to commission us to write tie-in fiction of some kind about Kess. We're ready. Oh my Having goodness. adventures. So the post-Voyager life of Kess mm-hmm. is just sitting there waiting to be at least a comic book miniseries. Like, come on, eight episodes. Let, give me eight, eight issues. Yeah, I would be willing to acknowledge the existence of Fury to depict the adventures and the difficulty that Kess goes through after she leaves Voyager and then how she recovers afterwards and how she finds a balance between being a person and being an energy being. Hmm. Call us. Our lack of experience is no bar. Hey, I've taken classes. <laughs> it's more than I've done. Uh, I read a lot. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. But we need to update our outro text because you can actually find our show notes at antimatterpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at antimatterpod, all one word, and on Facebook. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And if you let us know about your review, you go into the draw to win something or other by our 100th episode. Join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the end of Lower Decks Season 2 and any news that happens to come out of New York Comic Con.